So I'm going to read you the question um, that we received by text just as it was written so that everyone can see um, exactly what was received and then we can kind of go through it from there. So two questions uh, as written were, does God give a second chance to people who have died without really hearing the gospel? And then uh, in further explanation behind that question, um, they wrote, we understand that everyone is born with some knowledge of him. But there are still people who don't know who he is because of many circumstances, say brought up in different religions, environments, cultures, etc. And uh, in, after that question, further asked, will God give these people a second chance to acknowledge him when Jesus comes back? And uh, so to answer these questions, uh, most importantly, we want to go straight to the word. And we want to go exactly what does, what can, what do we see as it is written in scripture. And then address these questions as we go through. There is a, uh, how do you say, a plethora of content on Google search to, uh, to address this. Um, I'm going to profess that my head is somewhat jumbled with everything that I've read. But most importantly, um, tried to whittle it down to three passages, three sections, and then, um, and then kind of a summary and judgment. So we'll, we'll be in Romans, Hebrews, Acts, and then some judgment passages because of the question about is there a chance or not. So um, I apologize if that's a little bit small. Uh, again, after the message, if interested, I'll be happy to send you the, the slideshow and the slides so you can have further information. So if you want to open your Bibles first to uh, Romans, uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, uh, start in verse 18. And so each, each uh, section of, uh, of my talk this morning will kind of, hopefully I'm going to kind of give some answers ahead of what we're going to read. And then so that we can reflect on it as we touch each passage. So in Romans... <clears throat> We're going to walk through what is written there. Again, it's a letter from Paul to the Roman Christians, so we want to understand our context. It's talking about practical doctrine. The book of Romans talks about practical doctrine, plan of salvation, and exhortations concerning Christian duties. So, who's the audience? It's Roman Christians. And so what, what we get in this passage, I'm just going to give you some highlights before we read it so that you can kind of know what to look for, I trust. Um, God is revealed. Um, all reject God. Uh, not one is innocent. And basically we're all condemned as being sinners. So those are the kind of the, the four points. And uh, we'll work through to that, to that chapter now. So, so starting in, uh, I won't, the whole, to go all the way through, it would be go all the, go all the way into chapter 3. But we'll just maybe start with, with 1 verses 18 and then I'll highlight some verses for you. So... Start in chapters 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understand, understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And that's really what, what 
what hits the nail on top of the head per se. And so I'll just stop there. And so what's the highlight from what we read? Is what may, my first point on the slide, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So it's talking about to the Roman Christians and to society as a whole, God has made it plain that he is the creator. There are, and then since creation, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen so that men are without excuse. So really, I guess if you take a step back and you look at our world and you look at everything going around us, the fact that we breathe, the fact that we can walk, the fact that we can think, and, and all those type of different things, God, I guess the, the other term for it is there's a general revelation that there's more to it than just us being here as we are right now. So God reveals himself to us. Further into, uh, into Romans, uh, we, I'll take you through in chapter 2, down to verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, whom his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. That's the, the key part of that verse right there. To those by persistence in doing good, seeking glory, honor, and immorality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does, no, who does evil first, for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. So again, my, my takeaway from that passage uh, as I read it and as I read different guys' viewpoints was on the day of judgment, God will render to each person according to his deeds. So here we are living our life. We're walking our daily. We're doing what we do every day. God's watching. And it's happening here and now. What he views, what he sees, what we'll be judged for in the end is what we do with what we're doing right now. The second part of uh, chapter 2, as we read there, is in verses 9 and then 11. There's no partiality with God. It's everyone. First the Jew, then the Gentile is the way the text is written. But that is everyone. Everyone's subject to judgment. Everyone's subject to being watched by our Creator. Further on in 12, um, we all have sinned. Oh, I should go and read that for you. I didn't read that far. Sorry. Okay, I'll continue on with 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. <laughs> Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So again, my takeaway from there... All have sinned with the law, and all have sinned 
all have sinned without the law, all have sinned with the law. God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So these things, again, as we read, as we're addressing the questions about second chances, what about those that have not heard the gospel? This section of Romans tells us uh, a few things here, and I'll, I'll try and summarize for you, other than what is said in the slides, as I took it away. God makes it plain to us, and He's revealed Himself to all men through His general revelation of creation, who we are, having children, being in society. And we can read in Scripture that we are without excuse in this, meaning we can't be ignorant of the fact. Ignorant is not, a, is not an excuse. No one is innocent, Jew or Gentile. God's not partial to one type of person or another. He's, it applies to everybody on the earth. And we all have sinned, therefore we are all condemned. And we can be certain that God will judge at the end. So part about having second chances, if you think about Catholicism, I think it's Catholicism that talks about purgatory and such. There's really no such thing in Scripture about waiting. It's what we do with what we have here today that's strongly important. So I'm going to um, go back in my slides, show here, because I, I should have made this so that we could go to it each time between the sections. So again, back to review in Romans, as it's written, God is revealed, we, can all we all reject, no one innocent, we're all condemned. Now I want to bring you to Hebrews, if you could open your Bibles in Hebrews to chapter 10, starting at verse 32, and we'll read 32 to 39. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to give you, this is what we're looking at in the Hebrews passage. We're looking at Old Testament characters, the fact that they're in glory, and there was, Jesus wasn't there when they were living on the earth and walking their walk. And I'll explain to you again after we go through this section why, um, what the strategy was around tackling these passages again. So, so Hebrews, again, what I find helpful in my studying and as I'm learning and hope to learn at doing it better because it takes me hours and hours, but that'll get better with time, right, Andrew? <laughs> what, what helps me um, in the Chomson Chain Reference Bible, fortunately, and then on the side notes, you can go back to and you can talk about what's, this, what's the basis of the book. And so as I'm learning more, who wrote it? When was it written? Who was it written to? And that needs to be considered all the time because it brings into context culture and, and whatnot where we're at. So Hebrews, again, Hebrew Christians, um, just giving you some cold notes of what the book is about. Um, it's talking about Hebrew Christians that they're in constant danger of relapsing into Judaism, idolatry and such. Um, they're putting, the Christians at that time were putting too much importance on ceremonial acts and uh, the writer is, uh, again, not 100% known, according to what I read. But someone can correct me on that if they know better. But it's uh, just showing about the transcend transcendent glory of the Christian age versus what it was like living in the Old Testament. So that's kind of what we're looking at in the book of Hebrews. So going to our, our passages, and I should have turned to it too, right away, sorry. Fortunately, 
going over learning the books of the Bible with my kids is really helping me out to get to the passages that I need to get to quickly. And they're even beating me sometimes when we're going through the Old Testament because we test each other to say it through. <laughs> I think I've only done it clean once, but I expect they do it clean every time. <laughs> we'll get back to that later. Anyways, sorry, side. 10.32. And I need glasses. All right. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed for insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accept the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. The key at the end of that verse is you had better and lasting possessions. And what, what would be a better and a lasting possession? That would be to be in glory with God forever. So that's what we grab out of chapter 10. It's talking about, again, about men of the Old Testament and during hardships and times and what can they be confident in. Further on, we'll go into uh, chapter 11 now. And... I just have to remind myself. Chapter 11, 1 through 39. Okay. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And what, what I liked about um, just go on that verse alone is in the NASB version, it talks about instead of saying certain of what we do not see, convicted. And I like that word convicted a lot. It helped bring this to light for me more. Like being certain and convicted. Yes, there's similarity between the words. But I did like how that related to the message a little bit better. But anyways, I'll continue reading. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was condemned as one who pleased God. And without faith is it impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Very important in verse 6 there. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So, really want to highlight that for you. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So, really important here. Noah became an heir of righteousness. What's righteousness? It's definitely a path to being with God forever. Now we get on by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive in his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents and did as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. So what's, what's an heir to the promise? 
promises eternal life with the Lord. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Again, what, what, what is that place where that can be? It can only be one place. That would be heaven. And so by their faith, they were earning the reward of heaven. So again, we continue to walk through and, uh, the chapter. And I'll just go back and highlight um, more for you. Because in essence of time, sometimes we'll, we'll move on through and I can come back to some of this. So what's important about chapter 11? Faith. It's the conviction, the certainty of things not seen. And that was the description of believers in the Old Testament. By faith, the men of old gained approval. So they gained the approval of God. So what does that mean? They gained access to heaven. Noah, he became the heir of righteousness. Again, just confirming it. Abraham, dwelling in tents, heirs of the same promise. We get that in verse 9 through 10. All of, all of these, again, it's further on in the, in the chapter, uh, towards verse 13, all of these died in faith, without receiving promises, but having them and having them welcome them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Really important. Recognizing God without seeing Him, and having confessed they didn't really belong there. Looking forward to the promise of being with God forever. And again, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Goes down to verse 35. And all these men of whom the world was not worthy, having gained approval through their faith. So, what I want to uh, bring to light again in Hebrews is that, I, I, again, I, I don't know. I hope the word is speaking to you the way it is speaking to me. What's important about Hebrews versus Romans I hope you see the context here is the fact that Jesus isn't present in Hebrews in their time, these men of old uh, and women. Rahab is an example in the passage as well. But what do we know? What does the text tell us about them? It tells us that they are in heaven. If Jesus wasn't present. They didn't get the gospel message directly. But we know by the text these characters are in heaven. We know they're in heaven because of their faith, because of the conviction of what they did not see, and because, uh, because they confessed and knew they weren't supposed to be on this earth forever. And they sacrificed their lives. So again, really important context to Romans. Because in Romans, God is totally revealed. They totally know about it. And they know that there's a general revelation that Jesus is present. He's the gospel message to them in that time. And the only way through Christ is through Jesus. So we have these two passages that are really important talking about where it is and where we're going to be going to heaven. Okay, I'll keep on moving. The coolest story in all of this, one that's, I would say, profound in many different ways, we find in Acts. And if you could turn with me to Acts and chapter 10. And it's the story of Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius, a centurion in the Roman army. And uh, these are a few of the highlights before we look at the text. Cornelius knew God. He did not know Christ. He had a sincere desire and he was led to Peter. So we'll go on to, uh, if you've got your Bibles there, 
open to chapter 10. First, we'll start with what is, what is the book of Acts, written by Luke. History of the development of the early church. It's from ascension of Christ to Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And it's about opening his ministry there. And it's uh, also said it's the uh, formal beginning of the age of the Holy Spirit. Some summary of what we get from the book of Acts. So Cornelius, and again, I don't turn as quick as I tell everybody to turn. Sorry about that. Acts chapter 10. There is a lot of content written on this. And it's very much worth reading. Focus on the family especially. Had some good, some good dialogue and talking on this. Okay, so we'll start uh, chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. His distinct, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything and they happened and sent them to Joppa. Again, you can read the story on and, and all the way through, but I'll just give you an introduction. So what's, uh, what, what was interesting to me is to look up um, a centurion. So, and just to understand the context of who we're looking at, the character, why, why God is highlighting this character. He's a professional officer in the Roman army. He commanded approximately 100 plus men over time with seniority and if he made it through the battles and such, centurions would keep their title of those hundred men but they would also be in charge of other centurions of, in charge of hundred men and they, they had chance of, of hierarchy. These men were um, very literate, uh, they had good connections in the Roman community. They were probably about 30 years old or more, and they had spent time in the army. They had to show strong um, organizational skills. They had to be of size, strength, and dexterity. So Cornelius was no average guy. Um, he's probably the, the likeness of, of what a Roman citizen would want to be, but if you think about that and its time and its place, um, you know, that would be like somebody uh, second to power to like Justin Trudeau in a way. Because everyone wants to, you have this leader who, uh, Caesar, who himself views himself as somewhat of a deity, as a god. To pray for him, he's got his face on all the coins and such. So this is the world that Cornelius is living in. He's living, and yet, the scripture tells us that he prayed to God continually. He's a man who feared God in all his household. So, how did that come to be? We don't know the history, but just look at the context of Cornelius, where he's at, what he's doing. He acknowledged God. 
And God recognized him. And he passed this on to all the members of his house. So again, just some highlights from the passage. An angel of the Lord directed him to call on Peter to have him come and visit. So he obeyed. And then uh, further on, as you uh, look through the passage, um, again, uh, a highlight. In, but I, should, I put that verse 35 a little bit ahead of the game, sorry. Peter delivered to them the gospel message. So at the end of the day, Peter responded, came back, recognized and saw that this house was God-fearing, but what were they missing? They were missing the message of Christ. There was a strong acknowledgement of who God was and that He was real and that He was important to reveal. There was a moral code. They treated the Jewish people around them well, but what was missing? What was missing was the gospel. What was missing was the message of, of, uh, of saving, needing to be saved, acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross. And so, again, further on in the passage, you find that the Holy Spirit came upon them. And there was a, a, a realization, a coming to grips with the fact that they're all sinners and they needed Christ in their lives to be saved. So, so, they, so again, just in summary, Cornelius knew God, but not be Christ. Because of his sincere desire to know God, Cornelius came in direct contact with the Apostle Peter, who then told him about Jesus. That's the coolest part of the story. Cornelius in his situation so liken it because our if if your brain works similar to mine or some of the stories online is I'm thinking of the little black dude sitting in Africa in his hut and uh, what has he got he's got a hut and a stick and he and he hunts he's got no power he's got no internet how is he gonna know that God is real there's a moral code written on his heart or he's in some sort of idolatry type situation in his tribe. How does he know God is real? God has revealed himself in and around himself. So Cornelius is a picture of a man within a society that realizes and knows God. And because of that earnest desire to know God, what does God do? God sends an angel and brings him, Simon Peter, to help save him and bring him to the full realization so he can come to heaven. This is a very good picture and example of missionary work. Why is missionary work important? And uh, it was very interesting to read. Um, there's a number of stories of, of missionaries who say that. There's, like, to say that, you know, those have never heard. It's, just, it's very interesting for them in a lot of cases. They've met people that have heard of God or like, they've responded to God's general revelation. And by doing so and earnestly seeking that general revelation and wanting to be part of their lives, it's, it, they say it's very interesting that they are later visited by Christian missionaries. So it's very encouraging for the fact that, you know, people can say that, or there can be areas where there is no internet per se, or you're not aware of God. But if you earnestly seek Him because you realize He's true, He's there, that you're a sinner and you need more, um, God will send. You seek Him, He'll seek you. That's a really important thing to take away from there. So, so again, those are the three key areas of the, Bible, of the Bible where it speaks specifically, I hope, to the question. Now it's, I want to take uh, one, one slide specifically and just talk about the judgment. Because, the, because part of the question, again, that I wanted to address as the question came around... was about, um, does God give a second chance to people who have died? 
and that, that kind of really stuck out to me. So that's why I, I uh, put a, um, added this last slide as about the fact that the second chance aspect. Because we believe in a merciful God, we would believe in a God who is all-knowing and loving. And so by having those attributes in our mind, we're like, how can he? How can he let this happen? But at the same time, it's like we're not fully grasping the full nature of God in this situation. And I'll talk about that in my summary slide. So, do you have a chance after you, after you pass away to have a second chance? And Hebrews 9.27 um, is pretty much the one verse, the passage, as I've read through it, that kind of just nails it. It is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. So, what we do with what we have is our chance. While we're here, while we're on earth, it's, you got hundreds of chances. Once you die, it's, it's judgment. It's what you, it's, that's what's coming. So, what we can be sur sure of in uh, different passages, like, what can be sure of with, with judgment? Um, there's righteous judgment. Certain judgment and dreadful judgment. That's what we can be sure of. And these passages, uh, I'll touch on them. So again, in Acts 17, 22 to 31, He gives all people life and breath and all things. That's in verse 25. He's made all. He's determined and appointed times and boundaries in verse 26. In Him we move and live and exist. And furthermore, He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Further, we go in Genesis, back Genesis 18, 22 to 33. Really neat story. Never hit me um, as much as when Andrew brought it to light as he was helping me with the sermon of, of God's absolute righteousness and mercy. It's, it's unreal. Abraham says, if there's this many people, will you save them? Yes. Okay. How about this many? Yeah. How about this many? Whittles it down to 10 or less. Yeah, I'll save them. What does that tell you about the nature of God? He's merciful. He loves us. But there is judgment. Psalm 96, 13. Psalm 98, 9. Just talks about God's righteous judgment. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, 2, 12. Again, talks about in verse 5, God's righteous and that it's, His judgment is certain and it's dreadful in verse 9. Romans 14, 10 through 12, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It's a certainty. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Jude 1, 14 to 15, the Lord came to execute judgment upon all and convict ungodly. So my... My purpose of, of summarizing this again for you is to just go back to the question about a second chance. Um, it's very, I, I find it's clear to me that we have this finite time to do and obey what God has given us. After that, it's, we're judged. So to say that, um, that there's going to be a chance... Once you've passed away, I, I don't see it in the scripture that I've, that I've read. So that, that would be the one clear answer I can give you today on what I've read. And, but again, I wanted to give you, as we walk through Romans, as we walk through Hebrews, and as we walk through Acts, and we looked at those characters, 
I wanted to give you that which is written that can address the question about if you haven't heard the gospel in any way, um, will you still go to heaven? And I, so I'll, I'll give you a, a summary here, I hope, that can help um, summarize things. That, that helped me bring everything together. We must trust in the wisdom of an unfathomably good and merciful God. It is not our place to subject the Creator to our finite and fallen notions of fairness, what we think is fair. Our task is to take Him and His Word and trust His heart. Again, what we read in these passages, we take Him at His Word and we trust His heart. His ways are higher and different than ours. You can find that in Isaiah 55, 8-9. God needs no counselor, for He is good and does good. Again, we find two passages where we claim that. The judge of the earth will do right. Back to Genesis 18. No one can count on ignorance to save him. Again, we talked about that um, as we looked in Acts and as we looked on Romans. God reveals himself in general revelation. God is patient and not wanting any to perish. We find that in 2 Peter. He doesn't want anybody to not be saved. And our chances to be saved are while we're alive here on earth and, and not after. So, again, that's my uh, um, summary of, of what I read and, and what I wanted you to hear in response to the question. And I think I might have raced through it pretty fast. But um, very much, uh, I'm very much open to, to talking about it further. Um, before I... Before I quit talking, I do want to share two um, definitions that you'll find if you, if you chose to research, research this further. There's two points of view um, among Christians that, and, and you can take them and look back at what we talked about. Um, one is called inclusivism. And that is the belief that salvation is only through Jesus Christ, but there may be persons who are saved without knowing it. And Jesus, and Jesus saves um, those who have never heard. It's his, he can save those who have never heard. That's, the, that's inclusivism. And one of their points of reference is the Old Testament saved. The Old Testament saints saved without knowing Jesus. So that's the inclus, inclusivism viewpoint. There's exclusivism, and uh, that's the view that redemption is possible through faith in the gospel. And again, as we read in Romans 1, revelation in nature is sufficient to condemn, not save. And uh, oh, I just got my notes are a little bit rocked there. <laughs> um, so basically, exclusivism says we have no excuse whatsoever. It's, it's, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus, to know you're going to be saved or not. So those are the two definitions of the points of view out there. And that's what drove um, the structure of the message today, was to talk about Romans, where there's no one has an excuse at all. Um, it's plain, God reveals himself, and uh, no one is innocent, the Jew or the Gentile. And then we look at Hebrews. Old Testament saints are in glory. The verbiage of the text says they're in glory. They're in glory because of their faith. 
because of their sacrifice, because of them realizing that they weren't sufficient. They needed God. And then we have Acts and we have Cornelius. And again, one of the best characters and stories that you could ask for. You have a guy immersed in a culture that's not Christian, fully devout and believing in God. Where does that come from? His character, his moral code, maybe led him that way. We don't know that. The text doesn't tell us. But the text says, because of his earnest desire for seeking God, God then found a way to bring Paul to him, to give him the gospel message so that he might be saved and the Holy Spirit would convict them. So again, three sections of the Bible that clearly speak to the path to heaven. And, uh, and I don't know that I've maybe... Uh, and, I, and it was no purpose in trying to take a specific stance on it. Where I fall and where I can end up through the whole discussion and thought process of it, it's not a question that I've struggled with because, uh, again, in my position, I'm with uh, the statement number one. We must trust in the wisdom of an unfathomably good and merciful God. Um, that's what kind of... That, that seals it up for me. I'm, my simple mind can rest on that one. I'm, I'm good. And, uh, I, but I know that there's others that are wired differently that need to go a little bit deeper. And I totally respect that because I really learned from you. And uh, yeah, so I can honestly tell you and I can attest to everybody in the congregation that it's been a while since I've been in the Word this deep every day for a whole week. <laughs> It was good for me, and it was stretching, and I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to, for the question, thank you. I'm trying to make, not make eye contact with the person who gave it, so you don't know who you are. But I'm very thankful for the question, and uh, I encourage further study if you're, if you're not there. So, and, uh, and thanks, and I hope you got something out of it like I did.